dedicated to creating and discussing alternative perspectives on sports and art. I am your host, Abigail Smithson, and my guest today is Eric Nussbaum, author of the recently published Stealing Home, Los Angeles, the Dodgers, and the Lives Caught in Between. This book focuses on the story of the Arachiga family, who was forced out of their home and off their property, like many other families in their neighborhood, to clear the area for Dodger Stadium to be built. Besides the central narrative of displacement of a multi-generational family, this book is also about the fight for public housing, the Red Scare, and a large American city grasping for relevance through Major League Baseball. Nussbaum is originally from Los Angeles and a huge Dodgers fan, as we discuss. I so appreciate him coming on the show to share about his research and dedication to this story. So I also want to mention that on the podcast, when we are discussing something upsetting or horrific or painful, it is hard to wrap up everything in a hopeful way at the end of the conversation, which includes our discussion today as Eric and I connect events that happened almost 70 years ago with similar events that are taking place now. This also happened on the episode recently about midnight basketball. It's just really hard to sugarcoat or project an an uplifting narrative onto a policy or event that is riddled with problems, traumas, and loss. And sometimes I end these episodes without knowing what to say next. I commend the writers who I have had on recently for taking on difficult subject matter and engaging with me about how it is relevant today. So thank you again so much to Eric for coming on, and thank you all for listening. Okay, so Eric, thanks so much for for joining the pod to discuss Stealing Home, Los Angeles, the Dodgers, and the lives caught in between. I'm very excited about all that this book touches on and unpacks and all the issues that are built into this one particular story about this one particular place in some ways I feel like it's very universal, even though it has to do with this one time period and this place and these particular people, it still feels like it speaks to larger larger issues. So uh, I'm so excited to see any time that that can happen through sports. And this is, this is one of those times. And I wanted to start off by reading this uh, paragraph that, that you write in the uh, preface just about when Frank Wilkinson, who was a public housing official, came to your high school history class. Uh, to answer some questions and talk to to you all. And so I'm just going to read this paragraph and then we'll jump into some of the questions. I don't remember exactly what Wilkinson told us that day about McCarthy Hoover and the House Un-American Activities Committee, but I remember how he began his presentation. He asked us to raise our hands if we were fans of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I was 16. Baseball was my life. I played on the high school team. I occasionally called into the Dodgers post-game radio show to answer trivia questions. My hand, of course, shot up. Well, said Wilkinson, Dodger Stadium should not exist. So I chose to start our discussion off with this paragraph because it seems like whatever happened that day back in high school really got you thinking in a way that carried on into, into your work later on in your life. And so I just would love to hear you sort of talk about the the genesis of this story and this book and how it came how it came to be in all its complexity. Yeah, so 
it's there's a reason I started the book with with that scene, you know. Um, so Frank Wilkinson came into my U.S. history class in high school as this kind of stooped old man. He was in his 90s, I think, at that point, and he gave us this whole talk about public housing and the Red Scare and all this stuff we'll get into. But that question of why Dodger Stadium exists never really left me, I guess. I grew up, you know, I graduated, I became a writer and a journalist and all those things. At least I try to be them. And as I kind of grew into my career, I still found myself really fascinated with that question. And in many ways, the book is my attempt to answer it. So why does why does Dodger Stadium exist? Oh man! Well. Oh no! Sorry, that is <laughs> the question. That is the question, right? That's the question yes, you yes. set out to answer. That is okay. the question. Why does Dodger Stadium exist? Yeah. So, and, and, so people who want the answer can also get the book. <laughs> right, and it's not a simple answer. It's not sure. like well, because baseball, you know, LA needed a baseball stadium. It it goes way beyond that. Right. Of course. And I think that one thing that it really touches on is sort of. You know, when I was younger, when I was a kid, there's this level of of just thinking, oh, this building is here. This building has always been here. That's just the way it is. Oh, this arena is here. Oh, this is where I grew up outside of San Francisco. This is where the Giants play. This is where the Giants have always played. You know, there's not that sense of how did this building come come to be? How did it come to exist in this this particular place? You know, I wasn't I wasn't thinking about that. So I'm just wondering at what point did you have that, especially within this research, um, based on this interaction in, in high school, when did you realize how complex this story was? Honestly, I felt like even as I was submitting my final edits on the book, I was learning more and more about how complex it is. It it was like a never ending thread that I was just pulling and pulling and pulling. Uh, it's really tricky, you know, the book for, uh, I guess, the audience who hasn't read it or isn't familiar with the story, talks about these three communities that existed where Dodger Stadium does now, uh, called Palo Verde, La Loma, and Bishop. And they're mostly Mexican, Mexican-American communities in LA that were pretty much destroyed in the late 40s and early 50s to make way for a public housing project led by Frank Wilkinson, who we just spoke about. And then how, after the communities were mostly hollowed out to build the housing project, the housing project was then destroyed by real estate developers and politicians uh, using kind of red scare anti-communist tactics and leaving the land sort of ripe for development and eventually the Dodgers to arrive from Brooklyn. So that's the very, very short version of it. But, you know, every little decision that gets made in a city about land use, every development decision, every building has a story behind it. And there was always something there before. Uh, it's a funny thing. When you started talking about it just now, you know, what was here before, it made me realize that I'm now in a place in my life where like I have buildings that I love that have been torn down and new things have come up. And I've now like, I'm old enough now where I've seen that happen to, you know, my favorite coffee shop or bar or whatever it is. And thankfully not my house. But um, when I first heard the story from Frank Wilkinson in high school, it was his version of the story. I hadn't experienced that uh, yet. Sure. No, it's, it, it, I mean, I'm also wondering because this story has so many layers to it, because we were following the um, Archiga. Yeah, Archiga family. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, can you say that again? Uh, 
Arechiga. Arechiga. Uh, the Arechiga family, uh, Abrana and Manuel. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And so that they, they, we start there after the preface, we start with them getting essentially like kicked off, kicked out of their house. Their house is being relocated uh, because Dodger Stadium is going to, or the parking lot, it ends up being the parking structure, right? Uh, the parking or, lot, yeah. Yeah, around Dodger Stadium is going to be where their where their home is and where a lot of other people's uh, homes were, but they were one of the last last families left to, to fight for this, fight for their land in such a way. Um, and then we have Frank Wilkinson, who is this um, public housing official, also a communist, and having to hide that and then being very public about it at some points, Right. And all the racism and, and the use of religion. And there's just so much to this story. I'm just wondering how you chose to map it all out. The other thing is that the, the chapters are very short um, and the kind of the book kind of keeps you going in sort of a fast paced way with all of this information. I was just wondering the the style, the stylistic choice there. Sure. Well, those are intertwined. Right. So like the book covers, um, you know, it has three main sort of storylines. One is this family, the Erechiga family, as they migrate from Mexico to Arizona and then settle into LA and make this life and sort of fight to preserve it as the city and private business tries to take it away from them. And then you have Frank Wilkinson and his story in housing and his demise in the Red Scare. And then finally, you have the story of baseball and LA. Right, the baseball, right? yes. <laughs> so there was a lot to cram in there. And it wasn't really cramming in, but you all think of it like a chair that needs like three or four legs to stand up. If you don't have one of those things, the whole book wouldn't, wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have made sense. So knowing that I had to include all this different stuff to make it narrative to make the narrative work and move and to make the end result of Dodger Stadium being built resonate with a reader and this is a true story so you know I'm working backwards from what really happened right uh, I ended up going with the shorter chapters and sort of jumping around in the faster pace as a way to simultaneously tell all these stories and also to accelerate the momentum of the book in places when some of the stuff in it is this is not a very good advertisement for my book, but some of it's less dramatic and exciting than other stuff. I think that it's all very dramatic and exciting and important and meaningful, but action-wise, you know, there's parts where you're seeing people getting violently ripped out of their homes, and you're also parts where you're seeing, you know, city council hearings. Sure, which were also told in a very dramatic way. I I want to say as a, as a, as an advertisement for the book. Um, I mean, it's really it is really. I think you know, as as sports fans, like we're we're constantly up against maybe being a little unhappy or maybe more than unhappy with the history of our team, whoever owns our team, how that team came to be, where they play, things like that that directly might contradict our feelings um, as fans. But there, the the way that you brought these elements together created this kind of quilt that um, normally I wouldn't think about baseball, the Red Scare. Uh, this particular family, I mean, just and all the things that come along with that too, uh, the the details that come along with this, the story of Frank Wilkinson growing up and 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 the Adachiga family and all of this. So there's a lot of richness there that complements each other, even though they're seemingly like disparate disparate subjects. Yeah, I mean, one of the amazing things about the story to me, and this isn't like because of the book, it's just the way things really happen, is that 
it was really a collision of people from really different walks of life and different backgrounds and very extreme circumstances that kind of threw them together. And in many ways, the city we ended up with in LA, uh, the stadium we ended up with, the you know events of this book are a result of the force of will of these individual people and the choices they made and didn't make uh, when they were in extreme circumstances. And I really wanted to try to capture that and give credit to people for for their own actions. I, I think that sometimes history books, especially sports history books actually, can get written from like a thousand feet where you're like almost reading something as if like these people who you're reading about didn't have a choice in what was gonna happen or like they weren't really agents of their own destiny. And sometimes we are and sometimes we aren't, but I think people always try to be and I really wanted that to come across. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the story of the, um, I'm now self-conscious about my pronunciation, but the Arachiga family, like over time that they owned this property in uh, Palo Verde, right? This this area known as Palo Verde and eventually were, were pushed off of it, which is now part of Dodger Stadium, that they, at the time they were pushed off of it, they also owned a lot of other properties in the city. And that came to be a way for uh, people to discredit them in some way for fighting so hard for this particular property, even though it was their home and it was where they had lived. And and just how your book pointed out the the the, the racism within that space as well, and, and that it gave credit to the, the, the family as being very dedicated and, and holding on to the space as a as a point of as a moral point rather than financial necessarily. Yeah, I mean it was definitely both. Like they were a family of people who worked really hard to get what they what they had and felt that they weren't being treated fairly by their local government. And when they made an activist push to hold on to their land and to fight against what they saw as sort of tyrannical racist behavior by by the city they were sympathetic to people when it seemed like they were poor but when it was revealed that they you know had done okay and had saved money and literally done exactly what you know the american dream quote unquote like asks you to do you work 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 and you save and you you know you raise your family and you send your kids off to the army and all these things and they had done all that. And then it turned out that that wasn't enough. And the reason it wasn't enough was obviously because they were Mexican. Right. So the systemic uh, and just the the narratives that get pushed forward, uh, which, you know, are not that I was reading this book, just thinking about also like the election that we're going through and the, the issues that, that we face now um, as far as uh, gentrification and displacement and all of these things in in larger cities it's like the same the same things yeah a lot of the stuff in this book as I was writing it and researching it I you know I wrote a book in the early I guess wrote and researched a lot of it in the early Trump era and I I kept on reading it and thinking wow nothing has changed nothing has changed uh, from the way that you know the media can be weaponized from uh, the way that sort of power is wielded in, in government, uh, red baiting. I mean, all these really elemental parts of our culture, unfortunately, have, have remained. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the, the way that socialism, the word socialism is used now versus the word communism, how it was used then or how the idea of communism was used then versus how it's used now um, as a way to just discredit anyone who is involved. It's really uh, scary, the parallels. Yeah, I mean, in this book, there's actual communists, uh, but there's also a lot of people who aren't communists who just get called communists because it's a convenient um you know, slur, basically. Right, yeah. So what was the experience when you were doing your interviews with people for this book that were part of the, the families, descendants of the characters that, uh, the, or the figures, the historical figures that you were writing about? How was that? Because there's a lot of hard stuff here as well. I mean, there's a lot to be um, proud of for, for people who are part of these families, both Wilkinson and the Arachigas, but it's also, there's a lot of heartbreak and, and pain there, I'm sure. And I'm just wondering how that, how you, how you went about putting that together. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't think anybody who sat down to speak with me did so without knowing already how much heartbreak and pain there was because they had lived it, you know, right, either right, they had right. lived it personally when they were kids or they had experienced it passed down through generations and the sort of inherited trauma of all that. Um, I, was really grateful that members of those families and other families, uh, especially in the communities, would give me their time and trust me with their stories. It's especially with the people who lived in Palo Verde and La Loma and Bishop, a really sacred thing. You know, this was a community that was very tight knit, or three communities that were very tight knit, that uh, really meant a lot to the people who lived there and were truly stolen uh, by city government, basically. And they, the memories that they have of those places are sacred and they're very, very cherished. So getting to hear them was an honor, you know, uh, and a privilege and you don't want to screw it up when that happens. I tried not to, I, and not everybody wanted to share either. So, you know, that's, that's also fair. Uh, when it comes to the Wilkinson family, it was sort of the same thing. You know, they, this was, you know, Frank had three children uh, and I spoke to all three of them. Uh, he has his second wife, Donna, uh, who I spoke to as well. And they were all very frank about their life with him. Uh, if you read the book, you'll see he was a complicated, complicated man and not necessarily an easy man. And they were all very open about that. And all very willing to to kind of lay it all out on the table, which was more than I really could have even dreamed of for a writer. Sure, and I mean there there is so much um, again to come back to just like the details, the details that give so much life to this the story, both in the the family setting and also just how how Frank Wilkinson sort of came to be as a figure, uh, really create the the these pillars that you're talking about, give those pillars like a lot of strength within the, the storytelling. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I just, I think that, like, I mean, of course, you know, with, with firsthand, with the interviews and stuff, it just, it has that level of intimacy that again, I think speaks maybe beyond Los Angeles. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it's at once like a very specific LA story uh, and a specific story to this particular patch of land in LA. Uh, but it's, also, I think in a lot of ways, really universal. It's a story about idealism. It's a story about the American dream and people working hard and 
having that dream kind of stolen and fighting for it and all these themes and elements of the story are sort of part of the American myth in general. And I, I think it, you know, hopefully as a, as a writer, you hope that somebody who doesn't care about baseball or about LA or about housing or about any of these things would say, oh yeah, good book. Cause there's enough there for them too. You know, there's story in there. Sure. Yes. I, um, I wanted to also sort of touch on the councilwoman who was uh, the councilwoman in Los Angeles. I'm forgetting her name. She was super young. Sure. Rosalind Wyman. Rosalind Wyman. So she is the one that this, she, I mean, there had been other people before her, but it seems like she really took on uh, bringing professional baseball or major league baseball to Los Angeles. Is that right? That is that like correct. Yeah. Her she personal was... sort of crusade. That was one of the things she campaigned on. So Roz Wyman was a, she's a historic figure in LA. She was the first woman, on, a second woman on the city council. She was the first Jewish person on the city council. She was elected in 1953. I think she was 22 years old, maybe 23. Uh, super young, right out of college. And she was the dynamic person who, uh, she's still alive, so she's still a dynamic person. But she, she campaigned as a progressive Democrat on one of her campaign slogans and kind of ideas was she was going to bring baseball, major league baseball to LA. Um, family were baseball fans. She believed in it. The first bill she introduced in city council was about using the LA Memorial Coliseum, which ended up being kind of the temporary home for the Dodgers when they first moved to LA. Uh, she wanted to use it as for baseball exhibitions, you know, like it was her thing. And when she got elected, she worked really hard to, to lure the Dodgers from Brooklyn. And she was sort of the face of that effort in many ways. And later on when uh, they were in LA and it, there was this sort of next level battle over the land that became Dodger Stadium where you have the Adechiga family fighting to, to stay in their home and the city trying to separate them from their home so the Dodgers can start construction on their stadium. All this stuff's happening and she became critic of the family and somebody who really said, we got to get them out of there. Let's build the stadium. And there was not a lot of love between the two sides. Right. Which I mean, because I think when she first, when you're first presenting her to us and she becomes a part of the story, I get it. She's a, an exciting figure. And the, the idea of bringing Major League Baseball to L.A. seems like a good thing. I mean, I know based on the premise of the book, I know that it's it's not necessarily all a good thing. But it just is hard to to feel um, that she is like purposefully doing a bad thing. Of course, that that sort of changes as it goes on. And, and you know, the, this fight gets more and more about people's homes and and things like that. But she's that that story is very complicated. And I think that speaks to, again, just sort of this idea of, you know, sacrificing this area for progress here or for the greater good of the city of Los Angeles having a major league baseball team, what what gets given up? And do the things that get given up, who has control over that? And I can't imagine that LA is the only city where these decisions have been made in such a way uh, in the United States or, or beyond that in regards to sports. And I mean, and that when the sports are framed in this way of being like, well, it's for, like, it's it's a good thing. 
Yeah, I mean, it still happens, right? It happens to the Olympics every four right, years, every yes. two years. It happens all the time. You know, the question is, what is the cost of sports? Who pays it? Is it worth it? Uh, in Inglewood right now, in LA, you're seeing, you know, a new football stadium. There's going to be a new Clippers arena. And it means a lot of change. It means a lot of good things. And also means a lot of really bad things for people who might get priced out of their homes or see their neighborhood that they love become unrecognizable. And the people making those choices, generally speaking, are not the people who live in the communities. And you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Right. And, and I just, um, I was even thinking just about the, the parking garage you know, it's like a stadium is never just a stadium. Uh, arena is never just an arena. They expand beyond the actual structure. And, and uh, it's just how many, besides arenas, how many people's homes used to be where there are parking lots just like all over the over the country uh, and parking garages separate from, from sporting venues. Um, and, and I guess as a, as a fan of, of the Dodgers and, and as a recent champion or uh, World Series uh, champion. How, I mean, how has your relationship with the Dodgers evolved and and with Dodger Stadium in particular and with Vin Scully, whose voice you describe in the opening as being this kind of like poetry that has that is tied to Chavez Ravine and tied to this location and uh, being at Dodger Stadium is like this state of mind. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's a complicated, ever-changing thing. Uh, I love the Dodgers. You know, I grew up a Dodger fan. I wrote this book from a place of uh, being a Dodger fan. Yeah. And I, I don't think that being a Dodger fan or a fan of anything should stop you from being critical of that thing. Uh, this is a point I try to be consistent about. Like, if you love something, you also have to be able to hold it under a microscope and talk about the things you don't love, or else I don't really think... You're loving all of it. Um, and if you've ever been, had a family or been in a relationship or, you know, anything, it's, it's just how it is. Uh, right. Your, your favorite team, your, your country, your city, whatever it is, your car. Uh, so like, I, I, I was very, very happy that Hodges won the World Series. So happy. Of course. And it was great. Uh, it, it was weird and a bummer to see it happen in a weird stadium in Texas and not in LA or even in Tampa, not get to see Dodger stadium as part of that process. The circumstances are horrible right now. Um, you know, Dodger stadiums primary use has been as a COVID testing site for the last six months. And it's not the same as it would have been that said, you know, my relationship with the team is not the same as it was before I wrote this book. Um, even the moment that I heard Frank Wilkinson in high school tell me the story or, you know, tell me what, what should have been where Dodger Stadium is, how it should have been a public housing project and all these people lost their homes. My, you know, my relationship with the team changed that day. And every time I sat down with somebody whose home is buried underneath the parking lots there, it changed further. Um, nothing stays the same. I really value my, my Dodgers, you know, it's like a part of my life. It's a part of my, my family life and my friendships that are built around the Dodgers. I spent so many hours watching baseball and like watching baseball in that stadium, but I also can't unsee, you know, the reality too. What better time than now to support our favorite local businesses? 
And for me, it's Bookman's. Bookman's is the local spot for all my book and reading needs. And Bookman's is the sponsor of this episode of Dear Adam Silver. I'm grateful to have this connection with a business I believe in and support whenever I can. It is important now in the pandemic more than ever to shop and spend our money locally and with businesses we care about and trust. Bookman sells used books, records, movies, musical instruments, and more, and is a wonderful community-oriented store where the shelves are stocked with items brought in by members of the community. In addition to shopping, you can also trade your own used items in at Bookman's for cash or store credit. Bookman's has curbside pickup for books ordered ahead of time and for selling in trades. Please visit www.bookmans.com for more information and to find your nearest location. And remember, Bookman's has cool cover. Forgive me, I'm forgetting the exact publication year of the book, but had you been back to Dodger Stadium since the book came out? book came out this year. So it came out in March, uh, right right at the start of the shutdown. So no, I have not, I have not been back to Dodger Stadium. Yeah. And, and but while you were while you were writing it, would you also visit because just the way that you it's presented to us also like the aura of Dodger Stadium and like certain times of day and things like that. I'm just wondering if if that was a part of your if, if feeling that place was that of course, you had already felt it like going to all these games, but just wondering if that was part of your research. Yeah, I mean, it totally was. You know, I lived in LA when I wrote the book, uh, moved up here uh, about a year ago. So the book was done by then. And I I live in Tacoma, Washington, by the way, for people who are wondering where I moved sure, to. Yes. I, uh, so the, yeah, going to Dodger games was a huge part of my research, just driving around that part of LA, walking around that part of LA, spending time there, spending mental time there, uh, Totally. Yeah. I mean, the place, the book is about place as much as anything else. And I couldn't have written it from somewhere else. Right. Something um, that came up recently in a book club that I'm in is that LA and New York and bigger cities that we tend to hear about more often, sometimes it's okay to throw them into a book without really rich descriptions because we already know them. We know what they're about. We know what they mean. And this book was the book that I started reading like the day after I, that book club session. This is not to spill too much book club drama or throw anyone under the bus, but there was something about starting this book that is so much about this this like hillside, this one hillside in Los Angeles and, and how it changed over time and, and has been used differently and built on differently. and. Um, so much about place in the middle of Los Angeles, which is one of the cities that is so world famous and, and known for so many things. And I just, I, I'd love for you to talk more about what it means to be from Los Angeles and write this book and writing about a place that is, that we have an understanding of based on the Hollywood sign and other things like that. Yeah. I mean, I tried at least in my, I don't think I really thought about this that conscientiously as I was writing the book, but as I was writing it, I tried to describe the place I was writing about as if a person had never seen it before. So I wanted to be the person introducing the reader and taking them by the hand into this world, uh, into this you know version of Los Angeles, because I don't think that you know having a sense like of what LA is like based on watching a TV show set in LA or something like that it's really that helpful when you're trying to understand LA in 1922 or LA in 1952. 
the city's you know political divisions, the city's geography, the city's sort of growth and pulse and culture and heart and all these things changed rapidly, you know, year to year. And just because you've seen LA Confidential or something doesn't really mean you get it. Uh, I wrote a book about it. I'm not sure I get it. So I, I tried to be as deliberate as I could about painting a picture, so to speak, I guess, to be corny about it uh, for the reader. Uh, and also there's literal pictures in the book. There's illustrations that, that help. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. I know. I, I, I meant to touch on that. These wonderful illustrations of the people and I think some, some buildings too. Some buildings. Yeah. City yeah. Hall, Dodger Stadium, the, the Arechiga family home. Yeah, I should. Um, that's such a good question that is now coming up. But how did you decide to have illustrations in your book? Uh, I like books with illustrations in them. I think that's the first thing. Uh, also, when you're writing a nonfiction book and you want to put photos in it, the author has to pay generally, unless you're maybe at a certain level for the rights to those photos. And I didn't really feel like paying out of my pocket for photos that you could just find on Google. Uh, and I thought that illustrations might be more powerful and evocative. So I have a good friend named Adam Billison who I asked uh, to do some illustrations and I'm really lucky he did because I think they really make the book a lot better. There's, there's, there's this level of intimacy that comes through in the drawings uh, that I don't think would, would come through as much with just photos like you're saying that anyone can Google uh, or make a photocopy of at a library. Yeah, that was my hope that they would give you a kind of a feeling. I, I really want the book to, wanted the book, I guess, since it's in the past now, I wrote it already. But I hope that when the reader, you know, if, if you get to the end of it, you're left with like a feeling more than anything else, more than an understanding of what happened. I mean, I hope you're left with that too. But uh, it's an emotional story and I hope that there's like some resonance. And I think the photos really add to that or not the photos, the illustrations add to that. And I think, uh, and this has happened, of course, with other books that I've read that, that are dealing very specifically with one place, is that it makes me think about where I live differently and ask questions of w the place that I live, even if it has nothing to do with Dodger Stadium, just what is around me that uh, has a story as rich. There's Dodger Stadiums everywhere. There's Dodger Stadiums everywhere. <laughs> but I'm also wondering, because you know, you're know you from LA and you mentioned in the beginning that that you know writing about the place you're from and um maybe pushes back on some of what i was saying before those like outside perches of what la might be those views in to la without being there and actually um experiencing it or, or spending a large amount of time there so could you write about i mean there are dodger stadiums everywhere but like how how um how would you is this is this this, is this the way, the story that you need to tell about this particular place that, that meant so much to you and that's not something that could necessarily come out in another way about a place that uh, you don't have this history with? I don't know if I could ever repeat this. Uh, there's places that I care about deeply that are not LA and not Dodger Stadium. Uh, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I could write another book, uh, I hope I can, uh, about a place or person, place, or thing, but <laughs> there's only, you know, each book is different. God, writing a book, it turns out, is a lot of work, and, like, I don't know 
what the next one would be um, like to be like this. Like you have to really feel it to, to put that much time in, at least for me. And uh, I don't know that if I were to write another book like this, another you know, big sweeping narrative nonfiction type book, uh, it would be about a place necessarily. Maybe it's about a person, maybe it's about a, an event. I don't know, but it's hard to say. Well, it's so interesting because I read Boomtown by Sam Anderson. Um, sure. I think a year and a half ago, and um, probably I, like I, a distant cousin of my book. And yeah, maybe ways. yeah, a couple removed or something. Just this idea of telling telling the story of a place through through the lens of a, a sports team, and um, that I mean that was such an exciting idea, and just to to also yeah to to have another another way of doing that you know from a different writer like thinking about a different place and a different it just it adds to this idea i think so much of that uh sports are are beyond what we watch on tv <laughs> that they that they, they have this power that is that is so much bigger yeah i actually thought boomtown did a really good job of exploring that and of talking about sort of the way that sports can resonate in ways that we don't even realize yeah, absolutely. And um, all these little like intricacies of the of the place, the details, it's just it's all it's all rich. And, um, I, you know, I'm a Giants fan. I grew up a Giants fan. My parents don't even know that I'm interviewing you. That's how dedicated to the Giants they are. <laughs> so, are they, like, would it be a family shame that you spoke to a Dodger fan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have other Dodger fans in my life that like get some shit. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I was telling them, I mean, this this. It's just this is a great book for people who hate the Dodgers. Also. Sure, yes. I mean, it works for both fans for and that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I really I want to like walk around Dodger Stadium. Like I want to walk like and do a circle around Dodger Stadium. Like I want to be in this place where this where this story is told and and that I mean it's just um, yeah. So I mean I would go to dodger stadium as a giants fan if it came up anyways but it's just like it has this other layer to it now and i'm like gosh i can't believe i haven't done that when i've been in la before how did i not drive by dodger stadium how do i not know what these this you know landscape looks like behind it where this whole community existed it's worth going it's worth going just yeah. to watch the game even <laughs> if you're not going to walk around it's a long walk sure yes and it's also so interesting because stadiums and arenas are so bulky as sort of structures that they kind of end up not always sort of fitting in seamlessly to the the visual of a city they kind of stand out um and so it's also just interesting thinking about like the sort of the poetry that exists in that space around it and like what what was there before yeah i mean architecturally and i kind of at the end of the book i talk about this a bit but i'm not an architect and I'm not an architecture critic, so I don't have like a great eye for it, but it it's a pretty stunning place. You know, it's it's a beautiful building. It's an important building. Um, and that has a lot to do with how it interacts with the landscape around it and how it was purposefully built to interact in a sort of seamless, elegant way. Sure. I gotta make it there. So now it's on my list. <laughs> Dodger Stadium. <laughs> After COVID. Yeah, after COVID. Yeah, I, I think I can wait, you know, however many more months to get to Dodger Stadium. Maybe my parents first. I'll see them and then I'll go. <laughs> that would be really unforgivable. You can meet them uh, halfway. Yeah, you can meet them halfway and then they'll turn around. 
Um, well, this, yeah, I'm just, this was a really exciting book to read. And I mean, to discover, I, I heard you on the Dave Zirin podcast. That's how I found this book. And then my friend who's a Dodgers fan, he lives in St. Louis, but has spent most of his life in LA. And he got excited about the book. And then we were both reading it. And it just, um, I'm a big basketball fan. And I, I, the podcast has oftentimes focused on basketball. And I'm trying I mean, to. It's called Dear Adam Silver. It's called Dear Adam Silver. But Adam Silver's a sports <laughs> fan. I've seen him at the US Open. I know he likes other, other sports. Um, but yeah, I just, I've been wanting, to, I, I just, you know, to expand the conversation and into other sports, into other times, into other stories that, that come from that. And, you know, one of these days, golf will come up, I'm sure. That's been, like, my biggest thing is, like, how do you talk about golf in a captivating, exciting way of when you love basketball? So it just um, – there's lots of sort of hurdles for this. But, uh, yeah, I, this book was really wonderful to, to find. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really glad you found the book. I yeah, appreciate it. Definitely. Um, and I'll let you know if I make it to Dodger Stadium. <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah. Please do. It's, it's, it's very different now. Like the landscape around it is not what it looked like when the communities were there, but it's, um, they kind of just leveled everything when they built the stadium. But it's, it's, it's an awesome place to watch a, watch a game and just like spend an evening. Um, those three communities, Bishop, La Loma, and Palo Verde, they were, there was nothing in those like they, they didn't, there was, they kind of made those communities what they were, like structurally. Yeah, there were right? no houses yet. I mean, right. they built the house. There was, I mean, like they were subdivided into lots uh, by real estate agents and real estate kind of speculators. Um, there had been brickyards there. There had, been, there had been stuff there. There was like a burial ground. And you're talking about like really rugged hills, a lot of it. And so, you know, parts of it were just still rugged hills. Most of it kind of stayed that way. Uh, but yeah, in the early 20th century is when it really started to get kind of prepared for people to come live there and then start to buy homes or build their own homes for the most part. And it's so interesting when you talk about the view from the Arachiga's house to, towards downtown LA, like it sounds like they have this like stunning, beautiful view of maybe this, you know, smaller land, smaller skyline than, than you have now in LA and just... Uh, that property would, I mean, just thinking about a place with a view in LA, like, or anywhere, you know, in any big city in California. It's worth like, a lot more than the $10,000 they got for it. Yes, sure. very pricey. Uh, and so that's just the other interesting thing that, that they, they built their house in this, this place with that, that uh, at the time might not have seen as, as um, worth as much, but, but it sounded pretty, it sounded really nice where they lived. And that made the story all the more heartbreaking when they had to leave. Absolutely. Yeah. The chickens. I mean, just like that scene when they're being, when uh, the the people arrive to take, the people from the city arrive to pack up all their stuff and and uh, um, they're sort of being dragged out of their house. It's really uh, overwhelming. Thank that's, yeah, it really is. I said thank you as if it's because of me, but no, it actually is overwhelming. No, and I think because the, the book starts with that as well, like I knew it was coming the whole time. I'm like, oh, what? you know, no, I know that it's building up to this moment when when uh, they are going to be forcefully removed. And it's just, uh, yeah, they their house is ripped up from the ground. It's, it's just beyond. Um, and of course, it's probably happening somewhere today as well. It almost certainly is. Yeah. So... This is, uh, we have agreed that things that were happening in the 1920s, 1950s, all of it very relevant to today in a way that um, 
yeah, it's just it's both depressing and uh, good to really important to recognize. Yeah, it's good to remember the depressing things. <laughs> sure, it's good to remember the depressing things and that uh, there's a lot of depressing things that happened before these depressing things. So thank you for that. <laughs> happy, happy to help. Yeah, and thank you so much for coming on. And um, yeah, just stay safe. You too. Take care. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. This, um, yeah. So we'll see what happens on the other side of all of this, but we'll get there. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Eric. Have a good Take night. Care. Bye.